Amen. You guys sound wonderful. I also want to welcome all of those that are watching online. As you can tell, I'm not Pastor Frank, um, but so, but so, but so glad to have you with us this morning. If you're in this area. We want to encourage you to come to church if you are able. Uh, this is something that's on our pastor's heart. Um, uh, our online audience was meant for those who may be shut in, for those who may be in the hospital. But if you are in the area, we want you here in church. Amen. We want you to be here every week. So hope to see you soon. I want you guys to turn with me. I'm, I'm going to do things a little bit differently than I have the other services. I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. So I may mess up the media team back there, but Hebrews chapter 6, and I want to begin with verse 9. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. In the other services, I had two, uh, two scriptures that I read, and I was like, man, these people have been standing a long time. So let's, you know what, let's, 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 let's try to condense it to one scripture, and I'll kind of explain the other one so I can get you seated. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. If you got it, say, I got it. Got it. If you need some more time, say, hold up. All right, all right. All right, we're waiting on you. Come on, come on. Amen, amen. Getting some cooler weather outside, too. Man, I, I, no matter how long I live here, coming from Texas, I don't know that I'll ever fully get used to the cold, but, um, but God is good. Come on. Verse 9, it says, But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. That's, man, that's a good scripture right there. We are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, and we'll understand what he was speaking about, the writer of this book, later on. But it says in verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Does somebody receive some encouragement from that? God hasn't forgotten about what you've done for him. God hasn't forgotten about the times that you've interceded and prayed, the hospital visits, uh, the people that you've ministered to, the, the meals that you've brought to those, he hasn't forgotten. Amen? And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. Somebody say diligence. To the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises for when God made a promise to Abraham, the father of our faith, the Old Testament, book of Genesis, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. We're in need of patience. For men indeed swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge, for refuge, for refuge. Circle that word if you have a pen. For refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where our forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. 
I want to speak to you on the subject matter of good, good father. My title is my high priest and my refuge, my high priest and my refuge. How many of you ready to receive the word this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity that I have to minister your word to these beautiful people. I pray, God, that you would use me as your servant. I confess, like always, you know I can't do this without you, God. I need your strength and I need your anointing. I pray that you would open up ears, Father, and bring encouragement to every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. One of the reasons why I wanted to share this scripture is because Oftentimes when we're faced with difficulties, and I know that this is something that Pastor Frank has shared as well throughout this series, is we can question sometimes God's goodness because of the things that happen in our life. Sometimes life is hard, but we have to begin to step out in faith and sometimes just declare that God is still good. Even in the midst of what I'm going through, even what stands right in my face, I know that God is good. And one of my assignments for this morning is to help you to walk out of this place knowing that the person that you have placed all of your confidence and trust in can be trusted. That God will fulfill what he has spoken. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 11, that God's word shall not return unto him void, but it will accomplish what he pleases and it will prosper in the thing for which he sent it. Not only that, but in Philippians 1, 6, it says, He that has begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So it doesn't, know, uh, it doesn't matter what enemy has come up against you. It doesn't matter what lie has been spoken to try to tear you down. It doesn't matter even the temptations that you face in your life on a daily basis. Your God will finish what he started on the inside of you. Amen? But one of the things that we have, come on, clap, clap for the Lord in this place. He's good. But one thing that we have to be keenly aware of is that God is glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That we have to learn how to live by the spirit. We have to learn how to embrace this life in the Holy Spirit. Because when you gave your life to Christ, you received the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And it's his job to make you a bride that is suitable for a husband. Speaking of Jesus, he is going to take you from faith to faith and from glory to glory. But you have to be willing to yield yourself to him. Are you with me? But there's a couple of things that I want to focus on as we open up this message, as we talk about this scripture. And I have a little bit of teaching to do. So please bear with me as we get through this and then we'll get to the good stuff. Amen. Is that all right? So as we look at this scripture... The writer of Hebrews is wanting to encourage the people that he was writing to to make sure that they not become sluggish in their development as a new born-again believer. One thing that is very important as a Christian is that you continually seek after the Lord and you continually grow in your faith, lest you backslide, lest you come back to the person that you despise, the person that you're trying to walk away from, it's imperative that you become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? One of the ways in which we become a disciple of the Lord is to make sure that we come to church. Church attendance is very important. You guys are here and know that I'm thankful that you are here in the house of God because as the word of God is being preached, God is going to minister to each person individually. 
One thing that I've discovered, even as a preacher, sometimes when I'm in a service and I have a message that's coming up maybe later on that week, it's amazing when I sit and listen to Pastor Frank minister how the Lord begins to download revelations of sermons that I have yet to preach sitting under the anointing of the house of God. Are you guys with me? Even though, and I'm sitting there listening and I'm taking notes, but sometimes God will begin to dissect certain things in my spirit right there as I'm listening to the word of God. Don't tell me that going to church is not powerful. God can minister to you. But not only that, we also have a chance to fellowship and to worship the Lord and to use our gifts and to use our callings, the things that God has endowed us with for the house of God. And this is something that I encourage young people and adults with as well. Your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men. Every last one of us has an assignment on our lives. We have a gift that God has given it, and we're called to use it for his glory. Amen? But in this scripture, the writer of Hebrews was concerned Because just like with a natural child when it's born, when that child is born, there is a progression that is supposed to take place in that child's life, right? Initially, like they start off drinking milk, and then they move on to some vegetables, some Gerber vegetables, all right? And then then after that, they move on to... Uh, foods that are that are uh, thicker, and then hopefully on to some ribs. I love some ribs, uh, you know. But it's a progression, and it's one of those things. Like for a parent, if your child is not progressing, there would be some concerns that you have if they haven't moved on from vegetables on to meat. But the same is true with our walk with God. God is not expecting us to be perfect overnight. He understands that it's a process. But the question is, are you engaged in the process? Because when we give our lives to Christ, the Bible says that you are justified. I love that word. That you are justified just as if you had never sinned. That's how God sees you on account of Jesus. I love to put it this way. Justification is salvation from the penalty of sin. So there is no longer a penalty or mandate on your life, a sentence of going to hell. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are declared righteous in that moment. That's some good news. But watch this. Even though you are declared righteous and even though your spirit is saved, your flesh has to constantly receive notifications of the change. Because even though my spirit is saved, why do I continually to have these thoughts Why is it that when I try to go back to the club and I'm in this environment, it doesn't feel comfortable anymore because this is not who I am anymore? Why is it that when I go back to engage in a conversation of gossip at the workplace, that something doesn't feel right on the inside? It's because the Holy Spirit has taken residence on the inside. And there's a conviction there. And don't despise the conviction because the conviction is to provide to you proof that you are his son. That you are his daughter. And God is not leaving you to yourself, but he's taking you to a place where he wants you to be. Can I be honest with you? Have you ever had times in your life where God gave you glimpses or visions of the woman of God or the man of God that you can become? And then you come back to reality and like, Lord, how in the world am I going to get there? It's like sometimes I feel like I'm doing good. And then other times I feel like, man, I'm not doing as good as I should be. But watch this. God knew your frailties and your mistakes before he chose you. He knew the mistakes that you had made. Watch this. God is all-knowing. Can we all agree that God is all-knowing? 
He knows all things. So he knew your mistakes before he decided to draw you to himself. This is why I love Jesus so much, and this is why you can't prevent me from worshiping him. Because when I think about the fact that he knew my frailties and my mistakes were on a projector, on a projector screen for him to see even before he chose me, but yet he moved that out of the way and drew me to himself, I can't help but praise the Lord. I can't help but worship him. I can't help but love him and want to serve him. But that next process is what's called sanctification. Oh, sanctification. Sanctification is that process. It's salvation from the power of sin. There's one that we'll experience later on, which is glorification, salvation from the presence of sin. But right now, we're in the realm of overcoming the power of sin. And guess what? The enemy's already defeated if you didn't know. He's already defeated. He's already under your feet. The Bible says in Romans 6, 14, that sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but you're under grace. And the grace that we've experienced is the power to overcome, not just the evil one, but every situation that comes up in our life. Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. That's why he says, count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. But I've I've learned something. I wouldn't have known that God was a deliverer if I hadn't experienced his deliverance. I wouldn't have known that God was a healer if I haven't experienced God as my healer. I wouldn't have known that God is a comforter if I haven't been comforted in my life. And I have. You know, this is just a thought, something that I was meditating on a while back. You know, with Job and all that he went through, you do know in the closing chapters of the book of Job, the Lord comes to Job and reveals himself. I love to say it's almost like God opens up the cape and he shows him all of his glory and shows him all of what he did in creation. I wonder if Job could have had that experience apart from his trial. I wonder if he could have handled it. I wonder if it would have been too much. But when the Lord revealed himself to him, that was something that had never been done up to that point. All that God revealed to Job in that moment has helped scientists discover the universe. There was so much that was revealed to Job about animals, about space, about everything that God just downloaded to this man in a few chapters. And as most of you know, everything that he lost was restored. And God blessed him. But in this scripture, like the writer is trying to help us to understand that you got to progress. you got to keep moving. But he says something in verse 9. Even though he's speaking to a broad audience, he says that I believe better things of you. How many of you would say he's talking about me? Because I'm one of those who's not going back to the way that I was. I know the man that I was. I know the woman that I was. I know the life that I was living. I know what he saved me out of. I'm not going back, but I'm pressing on towards the mark of the high calling. But he said, for those of you, I believe better things concerning you. And he said, what you have left behind, the trials that you have overcome, the labor of love which you've sowed into people, even who were your enemies. Can I talk to somebody? Even those who despised you, even those who counted you as a loss, who talked about you, may have even done things to you. Yet still you pray for them. Yet and still you endure, yet and still you're standing here today. He says there is a reward that awaits you. And not just in the uh, 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 um, present life, I mean, not just in the future life, but also in the present. God has a reward for you. Amen? 
But he says something, and it gives us some encouragement. You know, if I can be real, there's times where I've had to go to the word of God, and the word of God has always kept me stable. How many of you, if you can admit, sometimes emotionally, sometimes in your mind, you can be on this roller coaster ride with God. On one minute, you're high, and man, I'm worshiping the Lord. I'm, I'm experiencing his presence. Everything is good. And then in the next minute, you're doubting everything that's happening. And it's almost like, man, it's a, it's, it's a, a Jekyll and Hyde. Like on, on, on one part, I'm following like the Lord. But then on the other part, there's this other part of me that I don't understand how to overcome this. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand something. Your God is able to keep you. Even when you don't want to be kept. And he shares something in this scripture that we must understand. He talks about, for those of you who have fled for refuge, don't cast aside your confidence. Why did he say, those of you who have fled for refuge? Man, this is some good stuff right here. Watch this. He said, those who have fled for refuge. The reason why he used this term was because he was thinking back to the book, the Old Testament, and specifically in Joshua chapter 20, verses one one through, I think it's one through 10 or one through nine. But in that particular scripture, Joshua established what was called, by the commandment of God, what was called cities of refuge. Are you with me? And these cities of refuge, I want you to understand and, and, and just kind of bear with me here as I try to lay a foundation with these cities of refuge. The children of Israel were under Egyptian bondage, and you can read about this in the book of Exodus, for over 400 years. You know what's amazing is sometimes you can be in a situation for so long that that becomes your normal. And then when you come out of that environment or you come out of that relationship and you enter into a different relationship or you enter into a different realm, it doesn't seem normal. It doesn't seem right. You know what? One of the convictions that I always had was the music that I was listening to. When I first got saved, and most of you have heard me talk about this, there was certain music that I used to listen to that caused me to curse every time I opened up my mouth. And one of the first things that God said, if I'm going to change your heart, if I'm going to change your outlook of women, I got to change what you're listening to. And as he started to change the music that I was listening to, I understood that the way in which I was living, that there was error. But can I be real with you? When I first started listening to the music, it wasn't something that I initially liked. And that's the thing about change. Initially, it's going to seem uncomfortable, but since when does anything in the kingdom of God have to be easy? Sometimes it's going to require you to be uncomfortable, but you have to be consistent to see the breakthrough manifest. You have to see it. And not give up. And not give up. Because the breakthrough could be right around the corner. And you break up on that last leg and that last leg of that race. Don't give up. Don't give up. But when God brought these children of Israel, they were in this bondage for 400 years. And God called a man by the name of Moses. What I love about Moses and I identify with Moses because Moses had a speech impediment. You may not know this, but I used to stutter like crazy. Couldn't get any words out of my mouth. Learning, disability, almost went to special ed. All of these things were in my life, and it was the power of God that healed me. It was the power of God and the word of God that set me free. 
But Moses was sent. And I love this about God. God doesn't call those who are qualified, but he qualifies the call. How is it that you got this job and you don't have no experience in this particular area? How is it that this door opened up for you when there were all of these qual? God qualifies those who are called. And it's about the heart. So God sent Moses. And even though sometimes we are weak and even though sometimes we are hesitant, how many of you know God is patient with us? And even though Moses didn't want to do it, God sent him some help through his brother Aaron and the job still got done. But over time, you begin to realize I was made for this. I didn't realize it at front. I mean, I didn't realize it at first. But now I understand that I was made for this. I was destined for this. This was my purpose. Am I speaking to anybody? When I felt the call of God, I said, no way. I can't even talk, the Lord. I can't even talk. I can't even memorize scriptures. Mm. But God, but God and his grace. So he sent Moses to the children of Israel and he um, goes to Egypt and goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. You guys know the story, the book of Exodus. But one thing that always stood out to me, and I never understood this uh, until the Lord revealed it. Why is it? Because you guys believe that God is all powerful, right? I'm in the right place. We all believe that God is all powerful, that he can do all things. But my question was, God, why did you not just take them out of Egyptian bondage? Why don't you just go in there, grab your, grab your people, and just leave? Why did they have to go through all of these plagues with locusts and lice and turning uh, 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 the uh, uh, sea to red and, 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 and blood? Like, why did they have to go through all of these plagues? And God revealed to me, I wanted to demonstrate my power. I wanted those who have been taking advantage for, of you for all of these years to know who it is that they're messing with. Because I am your God and I vindicate you. You don't have to like fight your own way. I will plead your case. I will vindicate you. I will fight your battles. When things are being said about you, don't even worry about what's being said because I will take care of you. And if you guys might remember the last plague that God brought upon the Egyptians was when the death angel came and killed all the firstborn males that were in the land. But the Bible says that God told Moses to take a lamb without a spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You guys might remember this. To take the blood of the lamb and to put the blood of the lamb on the top of the door and at the bottom of the door. And when the death angel sees the blood, he will pass over. See, now you may not understand this, but when he was speaking there in the Old Testament, that was a shadow and type of what was to come in the New Testament. Because I am getting into heaven, not because of my good works. I am not getting into heaven because of anything that I could ever do. But it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me on the cross. But when he brought them out into the wilderness and as he was leading them and God was taking care of them and providing for them, even though they complained and wanted to go back to what was familiar, they, were, they found it hard to embrace this life of faith. And one of the things that... Uh, God began to establish was laws because invariably when people live together, there's going to be some issues. Can I get an amen? There's going to be some issues that happen. And one of the issues that he wanted to bring up to them, which was talked about in Joshua chapter 20 is what happens if somebody accidentally or unintentionally kills somebody else? 
Maybe they were out in the field chopping some wood. Maybe they were building something and they accidentally killed another person. And the person who was killed, their family member, wanting to seek revenge, comes after. The Bible actually calls them a avenger. They had avengers in the Bible during that time. Um, But he actually wants to come against them. The Bible says that God wanted to make sure if that person did this as a mistake, as an accident, that they were protected. So what he established was six cities of refuge. Man, I'm going somewhere with this. Like, just follow me. Six cities of refuge where this person could flee to and receive protection from the avenger of blood. And as long, and this was the condition, as long as this individual was in the city of refuge and did not step foot outside of the city, they were protected. Also, they were protected as long as the high priest of that time during the case of when it was tried, as long as that high priest was living. They could stay within this city of refuge. Are you with me? But the case had to be brought before the Levites. It also had to be brought before the children of Israel. And it had to be determined whether or not this was intentional or unintentional. And the case was decided. If it was unintentional, they could flee to this city. But watch this. Once the high priest died, who was in office at that time, they were free to go back to their homeland. They were free to go and reclaim what they had lost without fear of judgment. But I don't know about you. Even though I would be stepping out of that place of refuge, as long as my avenger of blood was out there, I would still be looking over my shoulder, trying to make sure that no one is coming after me. So even though a law had went out that the avenger of blood could do nothing to them, we all know even in this life that not everybody follows the laws. So what would be any different during that time? I know that we've given this commandment, and I know that once the high priest dies, who was in office at that time, that I can go back to my homeland and be secure. But am I really secure? And this is what I want you to understand. Now we come back to Hebrews when he says city of refuge. He's speaking, he's thinking back to this book in Joshua, thinking back to the Old Testament. You know what? I've, I've shared this before, and I'll share it again. And And I always laugh with some of my youth because they say, like, they think I say it too much. And maybe I probably do. But the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. But the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Come on. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. But the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Everything that we read in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of type or what was to come in the New Testament. Are you with me? Abraham was, uh, was getting ready to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Didn't sacrifice his son, but was about to. Was that not a picture of God sending his son to be sacrificed for the world? Even when we talked about the Passover, the death angel would come. When he saw the blood, he would pass over. Is that not a picture of the blood securing our place in heaven and providing us protection? Are you guys with me? If you can recall, remember uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Nebuchadnezzar when they were put in the fire and there was a fourth man that came in the fire. Do you not know that that was Jesus in the Old Testament? And Jesus was there, and I love to pull this apart because he visited a lot. In the Old Testament, but we don't always see it. We're not always aware of it. But he says in this scripture, as long as the high priest was alive, they would be secure in this city 
and when the high priest died, they could go back and reclaim what they had lost. Remember that. There's one other thing that I want to bring up, and then we'll bring this in for a landing. Are you learning something this morning? Is this helping you? Who is this Melchizedek? Mm. Who is this Melchizedek who steps on the scene out of nowhere in the book of Genesis? Because as we just read, Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But who was this Melchizedek? You know, when it comes to the priest of old, the priest of the Old Testament, they were after the tribe called the Levites. The Levites. You had Abraham. And out of Abraham came 12 tribes of Israel, and one of those were the Levites. You guys with me? Now, the Levites were in charge of taking care of the temple. They were in charge of the tent, which was established first. Then you had the tabernacle, and then you had the temple. But the priests were in charge of ministering in the sanctuary and to attend to those services on a daily basis. This is why tithing was established. In the Old Testament, so that the priest could continually attend to the things of God and not worry about financial pressure. Are you with me? This is why it was established, so that they could attend to the things of God and they would be taken care of as far as their families and all of their other responsibilities so that they could attend to that. And this was their role, to attend. And once a year, the Bible says that the high priest would go into what was called the most holies. And he would offer a sacrifice not only for himself, but also for the people's sins. Once a year, he would go in there. Oh, I'm going somewhere with this. This was the earthly high priest. But then in the book of Genesis, and even in this scripture, we learn about a high priest by the name of Melchizedek. Who was this guy? Well, the Bible says, as as Abraham was returning from the slaughter, and he had the spoils that were with him, that he, made, that he met a man by the name of Melchizedek. Now, this man was different than any other man in the Bible because it was customary in the Old Testament when you were identifying somebody that you would also include their genealogy so you could understand where they came from, what their lineage was, who their people were. Are you with me? But this Melchizedek had no mother. This Melchizedek had no father. This Melchizedek had no beginning of days and nor end of days, but he was made like the son of man right there in the book of Genesis. And the Bible says something very interesting, which doesn't really go completely along with my message, but I wanted to share this. When he meets Melchizedek, the Bible says that Abraham, to on his own accord, gives Melchizedek a tithe. Let that soak in for a moment. You mean to tell me the Levites who were called to receive the tithe and the Levites were not even born yet because they came out of the body of Abraham, but the Levites who received the tithe paid a tithe through Abraham unto this Melchizedek. What are we to learn? That the priesthood of Melchizedek was superior to the Levitical priesthood. And so even when Abraham was paying a tithe unto this Melchizedek, Levi, who was still in his body and wasn't born yet, paid a tithe as well through his father. So the point that I'm trying to make is people will sometimes tell me, Pastor Brandon, isn't tithing an Old Testament principle? 
It is an Old Testament principle, but we have a high priest that has not died because as far as I'm concerned, we have a high priest who is Jesus who is standing or sitting in the heavenlies right now. So when I pay my tithes, it's not unto a earthly priest, but it is to my Savior, Jesus. And I do it because I love him. I do it because I love him. But this priest, after the order of Melchizedek, was made like the Son of Man. Now can we bring it all together? So let me ask you this. If Jesus, if Jesus is our high priest, and he is the one that is officiating for us, and he has provided a city of refuge. Come on, somebody. Y'all know where I'm going with this. Jesus was our high priest. And remember how I told you these cities of refuge were a place for people to be protected who had made a mistake, maybe committed murder uh, by accident. Well, guess what? All of us were born in sin. All of us were born in sin from our mother's womb. Our federal head, which was Adam, when he sinned, we all fell with him. Even though we weren't there, even though we weren't present, because he was our federal head, when he sinned, we all sinned. When he made a mistake, we all made a mistake. Well, Pastor Brand, that's not fair. But can I ask you something? If you were in the garden, being honest with yourself, would you have eaten from that fruit? I probably would have. If I'm being honest. But the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Are you with me? So he says, for those of you, and when he says, uh, I think better of you, and, and for those of you who have fled for refuge, what is he talking about? Those who have fled from the wrath of God, because guess what? The wrath of God was satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me say that again. The wrath of God was satisfied through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Guess what that term is called? Propitiation. So when Jesus died upon the cross, it's not that God's wrath all of a sudden just left. It was satisfied through the power of Jesus. And so God, when he sees us, he sees us in a different light because we are his. And he sees us through the lens of Christ. So not only did I flee from the wrath, but I also fled from hell because that's no longer my destination. To be seated with Christ in heavenly places, that's where I am at this current time because of my belief in Jesus. Am I helping anybody tonight? I mean, uh, this morning. It feels like dark in here, but this morning. But I received him. And therefore, I have an expected end. I have a bright future. God has a plan for all of us. That's not just a cliche. So for those who have fled for refuge, you got to understand this. And I'm asking the band to come as I close. Watch this. This high priest, remember how I told you in Joshua, as long as he was living, he was to remain in the city of refuge. But when he died, he had to go back to his homeland. And he could have restored to him everything that he lost. Not only did Jesus die, not only did Jesus take our place on that cross, securing the ability for us to go and reclaim but what, what, what we had lost. But the Bible says that he lives to make intercession for us. So not only did he die for me, not only did he secure what I lost, but I no longer have to look over my shoulder because my God is still living and he's still protecting me and he's still watching over me. And he is my high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And this priesthood was of a whole different line. It was of the line of Judah. And it's a priesthood that will never die. How do I know this? Book of Acts, 
chapter 7. Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. If you guys remember, he was being um, persecuted for his faith. And the apostle Paul was actually the one consenting to his death because this was before Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9. But the Bible says that this man, Stephen, was stoned to death. But watch this. And this is a message for somebody in this place. As he was receiving the stoning and the persecution, the Bible says that he looked up and he saw Jesus standing. Come on, somebody. He saw Jesus standing. And the reason why he saw Jesus standing. Now, you have to understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he finished. He finished it. And the Bible says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Come on, somebody. But when he saw his servant, when he saw his son being persecuted, the Bible says that he rose and he stood up. And he looked down at what his son was going through. And I believe, even though he was being stoned, that Jesus took the pain away of what he was going through. And he became an even greater witness in his death than when he lived. Because God was watching over him. So the point that I'm making is you have a high priest who intercedes for you daily. I don't want to use the big term, but let me break that down. When it says he intercedes, he prays for you. When you come out of that uh, doctor's notice or that diagnosis is given, Jesus is praying for you. When you receive the news that you lost your job, Jesus is praying for you. When you receive the divorce paper, Jesus is praying for you. When you um, find out news that your son or your daughter is on uh, drugs, Jesus is praying for you. When you realize, man, that you're going through turmoil and heartache within your marriage, Jesus is praying for you. When you realize that there's something going on in your body, something's not acting right, Jesus is praying for you, and he knows exactly what you feel at that moment. He knows exactly what you feel. But he says two other things. He says that we have an anchor of the soul, which is sure and steadfast. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember this vividly. Um, My father, one of the very few times that we got together uh, with my sister and I and some other people, we went out on Lake Ray Hubbard, which is a lake in uh, Dallas, uh, which is where I'm from. And um, we were out there on the lake, and uh, he put an anchor down in the water. For those of you that don't know what an anchor is, it's this large contraption that goes down into the sea. It has a big chain that's attached to it, and it's meant to go down to the bottom of the sea to latch on to the uh, um, sand that's at the bottom so that no matter what happens at the top, it's anchored, and it won't move. But it wasn't latched properly, (laughs) and we began to drift and didn't realize it because, you know, the boat's always like swaying. So before we knew it, we were stranded on a deserted island there at this lake. And uh, for some reason, our phones, like, I don't even know if we had phones back then. Like, maybe, I mean, I know I didn't have a phone. Um, But, man, we had no means to be able to reach out to people, and they were trying to send help to us. We had a bucket of chicken, so everything was good there. But, um, but (laughs) KFC, come on. Um, but, um, But we were there, out there, stranded in the water. And finally, aid came to us. But I'm always reminded of that because even though that anchor was not secure, and even with the anchor secure, You're still going to experience some turbulence. Boats could still hit us. Things could still happen even though the anchor is in the sand. But the Bible says we have an anchor that's in the very presence of God. 
of anchor in the presence of God. So no matter how we fare in this life, no matter what comes against us, no matter what the enemy throws our way, I have an anchor of the soul, which is sure and steadfast. Who can come against me if God be for me? Who in the world can be against me? I will see the salvation of the Lord. I will see his promise manifested. Stand with me here in this place. Stand with me here in this place.